This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 5, Episode 19. Am I on 19? Yes. You're on 19. Yes, 19. Fulfilling promises to your readers. I promise we'll be professional at all times. <laughs> 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. And I'm, we promise not to be. <laughs> I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm not that smart. <laughs> there we go. All right. We, okay. have, we, we can of worms this last week. And so we thought we would uh, talk about this week. Plus, as mentioned, this is one thing that we've gotten um, several emails about. We've yeah. talked about fulfilling promises and breaking them as... Um, Fulfilling them good, breaking them bad. Um, and people wanted examples. Imagine that. Uh, they want us to back up our words with <laughs> actual uh, references. Okay, let, our... me give you, let me start with an example from my own work. Okay. Um, in the book, which is now titled Longshoreman of the Apocalypse, which was uh, nominated for Hugo last year, um, I, I, made, I told a, what I thought at first was a throwaway joke. You know, if we build a loading robot out of the parts in this lab, we're not building a longshoreman, we're building the longshoreman of the apocalypse. And as soon as I told that joke, I realized I've just made a promise to all my readers. I have to build the longshoreman of the apocalypse. And because I'm discovering my discovery writing my way through the book, um, that altered my outline a little bit. Uh, and I, I ended up writing this robotic longshoreman uh, into the climax of the book. And it worked very, very effectively. And I have a moment there at the end of the book where the longshoreman of the apocalypse is standing amid a maelstrom and he has an apocalypse over which he can preside. And um, it, it worked. Let's talk, let's break it down specifically in this example, though. What, why did you feel that you needed specifically to change everything by using that one phrase? Is it because the phrase was so awesome that it was going to draw all kinds of attention, and therefore... The phrase itself was memorable and awesome. The other thing was that the phrase, the phrase and the setting conjured up visions of a, a scrapyard of you know, military equipment robot that is running amok and doing... Uh, you know, doing horribly catastrophic things. It was a very visual piece of imagery. Um, visual piece of imagery. Nice work, Howard. <laughs> I are a writer. <laughs> What's going on here is it's, um, it's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, I hadn't anticipated this, but um, what you've done in that case is I've used the phrase grill in a phone booth before in the right podcast, right? That's mm -hmm. where, you know, you're telling this normal story, and if one of the characters mentions, oh, there's a grill in that phone booth, and then keeps on walking, that, you know, completely derails your story. Because mm -hmm. everyone's like, what about the gorilla in the phone booth? And so you can have these throwaway lines that normally the conventional wisdom, at least what I would recommend normally, is, is don't put a gorilla in the phone booth if that's not what your story is about. Yep. Mm -hmm. But what Howard said is, I put a gorilla in that phone booth, and it was awesome. And so I decided <laughs> to tell this whole story about gorillas living in phone booths. Yep. Um, and that, I guess, is a way that you can make sure you're fulfilling your promises. Absolutely. Well, and if you can come up with, you know, if, if whatever that gorilla is in that phone booth, if you can wrap a really cool story around it, yeah. and it's cool enough that it distracts you from the story you were telling, that's a good sign that it might be a better story for you to be telling. Exactly. Yeah, and if you've got the, the luxury of going back and rewriting mm -hmm. around the gorilla in the phone booth, that's fantastic. Yeah. I was fortunate in that the Longshoreman of the Apocalypse, I, I could shoehorn him just fine into the story I was already telling, 
and it, it worked well. I was able to get away with it. If it hadn't fit, then I would have come back to it in a later book, and I would have treated this as a promise that I was delaying fulfillment on. And I don't think that would have been as strong. Do you sometimes not put in things like that because you think, oh, I can't fulfill this promise? Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Every, every week I sit down to write scripts, and I'll come up with a great joke and think, ah, this, this is along the lines of sentient elephants. When I, I threw in a footnote right. about, you know, everybody agreed that giving sentience to the African elephant was a mistake. And my readers, uh, I got all kinds of email. Where are the elephants? The get, in the you, phone booth. Where, yeah. where are all the dang elephants? And so the very next story, I had to put an elephant in, and I realized how much I hated drawing elephants. <laughs> um, and I've so done you decided to have a fight scene with I had 20 a fight of them scene at once. with elephants. Well, because my universe now has elephants in it, because I put a gorilla in the phone booth. I didn't want it. <laughs> well, this is, this is interesting, um, because we've talked... This is totally getting derailed, but this is this is fascinating stuff because we've talked about before the balance in your writing, Howard, because um, balancing uh, humor with a story, um, with uh, with strong characterization, and with discovery writing, with discovery writing, and what we're seeing here right now is times where you have to be actually and you have to choose not to be as funny as you could be yeah. in order to preserve continuity and world building. Or I have to choose to take a horrible, horrible risk yeah. and tell a joke that threatens to undermine my entire <laughs> ability to draw. All right, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give a bad example, all right? Um, this we is actually um, producer Jordo's example. Um, but um, I've, I've played the game too. Those who've been watching my tweets, I mentioned I'm playing the game Borderlands. Um, fun game. I'm going to spoil a little bit for you, but um, it's been out for a year, and also you don't play this game for the story um, because <laughs> there basically isn't one. Um, but um, and th this is very in, uh, instructional. Throughout the game, um, you've got this, this evil antagonist popping up and you know, talking to you via your voice net saying, you have to leave the planet or we're going to come and get you and stop competing for these resources that this thing that we're trying to all get, we're gonna totally take you down and you just better, you know, um, you better listen. And so you're playing through the game and you're like, oh, holy cow, well, these people are better funded than me. They've got an entire army um, and they're searching for the same thing. I'm in trouble fighting them, but I've got a you know, pick up my gun and go do it because I've got to, you know, I've got to yeah. do it. It's, it's the story. And so you get to the climactic end battle and they pull the, you know, they are, they got there first. They're opening up this, you know, this, this portal thing that they're going to get all these riches and something comes out of it and kills them all in a cut screen. And then you fight that thing for the climactic battle. <laughs> um, now, in game terms, that's cool because you've been fighting these people all along as a video game player, and you're like, I've been killing them, so now there's this big, massive monster to kill, and it's way cool on the screen and visually, but storytelling-wise, that was a huge broken promise. Um, and, and Jordo said that he got to the end, he's like, what? I don't get to face my nemesis that I've been seeing this entire yeah. time. I've got mm -hmm. to instead fight, fight this um, fight this giant space lobster um, that's you know that's that's gonna destroy the, the planet or whatever. Yeah, sorry it, about the spoiler. It looks yeah. like a giant space lobster. Put, put yeah. that into the context of a story that you're familiar with. If you're yeah. not familiar with the game, if the first Star Wars movie ended when they're trying to blow up the Death Star, but then 
a giant space lobster came and ate Darth Vader and yes. you had to fight that instead, yes, that would be stupid. And you would hate it because yeah. you love Darth Vader and you love to hate Darth Vader. Okay, and you know, everything's built to that here's point. Here's uh, an example from a movie that's a little over a year old, or a little less than a year old, Legion, okay. um, which I absolutely despised. It's my, my lowest ranked movie of the whole year, not because the snivelly couple named Howard and Sandra <laughs> in that film end up betraying the party and dying early. That's and not at all. That, that's Nothing. not at all. No, what, what bugs all. me, and here comes the spoiler, is that our protagonist reaches that point where he is at his absolute nadir. He's being clobbered by the evil, evil angel. It looks like there is no way he can win. And an angel who we thought was dead has gone up to heaven and gotten all of his powers back and comes down and saves the day. Deus ex machina. And okay. I felt completely robbed because he was at his moment where, you know, the, the, the hero is at mm -hmm. his moment where... In a yep. better written movie, he would have pulled something out, and that, that was his time to shine. That was his time to and shine, and the movie didn't let him. And he cowered on the ground while someone else saved the day. Now let's let's actually break this down as writers and find out you know what's going wrong here. And we will do our, our book of the week, but we'll, we'll wait. I want to I want to talk about this first. Um, with the with both of these stories, what's happening is, um, and readers ask us or listeners ask us, um, how do I know if I'm making promises? I, I want you to look at your fiction that you're writing saying where, and ask yourself, where am I spending my time? Now, with um, this, this game that I was playing, the, how much time in the game was devoted to focusing your energies on this other character? And that is making a promise, where yep. you are spending your time. If, yeah. Same exact thing held true in Legion. Our point of view character is the mortal who ends up cowering on the ground. And our, uh, you know, the stranger comes to town character yeah. uh, is the one who ends up saving the day. Right. And yeah, we've spent so much time building up this one hero. We think, you know, maybe he can pull it off. No, he can't. Angel has to kill the other angel. Yeah, and it's Sorry. not mm -hmm. just the Deus Ex Machina, which is a problem. Yeah. In years. Deus Ex Machina is one way to break a promise to readers. But the reason this isn't working is, you know, Deus Ex Machina, the problem with Deus Ex Machina is, is poor foreshadowing. That's yeah. essentially what, yeah. what is broken about Deus Ex Machina. But what is making these terribly unfulfilling stories is not the Deus Ex Machina, or in our case, what uh, my friend um, Bryce Moore likes to call Deus Ex Wrench, things going wrong without no foreshadowing. Is that we have invested emotional energy and time and pages in our writing or time playing the video game focused on something which is then snatched away from us and we aren't allowed yeah, to yeah. achieve it. Okay, let me give an example from my first book. I am not a serial killer. Uh, this will get a little spoilery. I'll try to keep it light, but the book's been out for like two years, guys. Yeah. Um, okay, so in the first draft of this book, and Brandon will remember this from writing group, um, the ending was significantly different and the ending was very disappointing and. Uh, it's because he, you know, the, the, our main character, John, he is forced to fight this demon. He doesn't know how. He doesn't have any skills with which to fight a demon. And he basically just beat it anyway. And right. what I had to do was go back. And what I did was literally look at the first chapter and say, what is he doing right from the beginning of the book? What does he actually have talent with? Who are the other characters in the story? What is important to him as a character? And then fold all of that into the ending so that it's themes 
coming back together again. So we had the, the embalming aspect comes yeah. back again in the end. His mother comes no. back again at the end. It's much more personal. What you've blended there is the, the concept of fulfilling a promise with the concept of surprising yet inevitable. Mm -hmm. And that's the promise that we didn't know you made and that we then realize has been fulfilled. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Um, Let's stop and do the book of the week now. We need yes. to do a book yes, of the week. Yes, we do need to do the book of the week. And our book of the week this week is actually nonfiction. It is called The World Without Us by Alan Weissman. It's a couple of years old. Um, it is basically, he takes the premise of if all humans disappeared for some reason, and he doesn't bother explaining the reason because that's not the point. The point is, if they all did disappear abruptly, what would happen next? How would Earth move on in our absence? What would happen to the things that we built? Which creations would last and which would degrade? Um, you know, what damage have we done? What good things have we done? It's an absolutely fascinating look at uh, biology, at geology, at ecology, um, and at our society today. Um, really, really interesting book, very compelling. I recommend it highly. Sounds like it would be very useful for anyone writing some sort of post-apocalyptic. Absolutely, um, which is honestly why I read it. Mm. <laughs> um, all right, go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial and uh, download a copy of the book. Mm -hmm. All right, um, Dan, I'm going to put you on the hot spot. I know you okay. have a good example, but I want to first look at um, a serial killer, which we've already mentioned. Yes. Some, pretty much everybody who reads the book loves it, except for one group. Yes. Which is the group and I know feel that their promise has been broken. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Okay. Uh, almost every single negative review the book has received makes the same point, which is halfway through this book turns supernatural. Um, people will begin it thinking that it is, uh, well, not a, necessarily a true crime, that it is crime genre, that it is going to be about a soci sociopath dealing with an actual serial killer. And then when it turns out to be supernatural, a lot of people have been very bothered. Uh, we actually went to great lengths on the second book to put the supernatural elements on the cover to let people know right from the beginning uh, what genre this book was. Now, part of that we did on purpose. In mm -hmm. fact, we, uh, we heightened the surprise of the supernatural twist halfway through during the editing process because uh, my editor and I and uh, F. Paul Wilson, who uh, read the draft for us, uh, we all agreed that that would be a really cool visceral punch. And I think the thing that we were neglecting is that it would be a cool visceral punch if you were ready for it, and yeah. the book does not really get you ready for it. Um, it does not prepare you as well as it should to, uh, to realize that this, this, the serial killer is supernatural. It, well, it's a, another example of this is uh, Million Dollar Baby, where you think it is a movie about one thing, and at the very end you realize it's a movie about something mm -hmm. completely different. Um, I am going to watch the that only one, way... so don't spoil it for me. <laughs> okay. The only way for something like that to work is for you to... Uh, make a promise and break it. Yeah. Really, yeah. that's the only way for it to work. 
And there should be a genre of movies, a genre <laughs> of books that is the broken promise and we did it on purpose and it's okay yeah. genre well, so that you can buy it and not complain. Anything, mm -hmm. that, anything done extraordinarily well will... will be well, all right. And but I've talked before about this. Just I just mm -hmm. want to remind people yeah. of this example of the reason I decided in Mistborn not to make the story of the hero failing at the end, which was the original concept. Oh, yeah. I've got the hero's journey. I'm going to have him fail at the end because um, that was partially a downer of a story. And I bet I could have done it in a way that wouldn't have that wouldn't have broken promises. But it felt like as I was planning it that the only way to do this is to yank the rug out from underneath you in the last moment. Which makes for, for bad storytelling. Yeah. Meaning, yeah. I mean, I could have. I, it, the only way to do it would be to do an exact, a, a hugely generic, uh, um, hero's journey, which would put off all the readers of <laughs> that I wanted yes. to attract, yeah. who did not want that, mm -hmm. and all the people that would be left would be the ones who wanted a hugely generic hero's journey, and then would be then upset by the would ending. be upset by not getting the ending they want, and the people who would get the ending they want wouldn't last through the three quarters of the book it would take them to get mm -hmm. there. Now, Howard raised an interesting question, you know, a million dollar baby, and I'll do this without yep. spoiling anything, did break a promise, but the reason it was able to make it work is because it tricked you into what kind of movie it actually was. Because by focusing heavily on the characters, even though it told you this was a plot movie, it focused so heavily on the characters that when the plot changed rails, you were so tied to the characters that it still worked, yeah, you and you went enough. with them. And uh, another fantastic example of this, we're going to pull this out of TV, is uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, the episode Yesterday's Enterprise, which is, uh, or not Yesterday's Enterprise, um, it's uh, Best of Both Worlds, the one where... Picard is kidnapped by the Borg and is turned mm -hmm. into a Borg. And that has this really kind of, again, big visceral punch at the end where you see Picard as a Borg. And the reason it works is because the whole time the episode has secretly been filling in um, all little hints that Riker is going to take over. Go back and watch that episode yeah. again. It is full from the beginning of little hints that Riker is going to take over as command. And so even though you don't realize it, all of those pieces are in place, so when that big thing happens at the end, you're ready for it. And so even though that's not the promise that was made at the beginning, secretly it is the promise that was made at the beginning. You just didn't realize it. All right. Um, and we didn't get to your, your good example. We'll just have to hold that that's off okay. for another time. I'll just say, Gross Point Blank again, and then get cut off, just like last episode. Okay, go for it. Gross Point Blank! This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses, except we need a writing prompt, Howard. Uh, okay. Um, promises, promises, promises. Well, I need you to All right. Do it other time. I, I have to do it again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'll do it next time. Uh, no, it's a, we'll, we'll be fine. I'll, I'll get this. I just, uh, I, it's right here on the tip of my tongue. Um, think of uh, all of the times that in in grade school, you know, you or a friend of yours uh, said something and said, "I promise." Okay. Any time that a, a child has made a promise, you know, in, in that sort of a context, pick a really good, and that usually means in child context, stupid <laughs> promise that a kid has made, um, and now use that as the leaping off point for a promise that you're going to keep in a book. Okay. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. I'll be your best friend. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. 
Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.